0: Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ.
1: Wonderful. Yeah, it's a joyful morning. It's a a gift to be able to do this together, and uh, I'm really just glad that we're able to gather together here on this last Sunday of May. Hard to believe we are flying through 2022. Uh, We just finished up a series uh, last Sunday as we uh, jumped out of Easter into this conversation of how resurrection renews the world. And as we close out May through the end of June, we're starting a new series, and we're calling it unpopular. Uh, we're going to be looking at minor prophets in the Old Testament and considering five different individuals uh, and the books and the stories that they present to us and what they might have to say for the people of Israel at the time and how that is even relevant to our experience of the world today and our conversations of faith. A uh, couple notes, minor prophets or the 12 prophets of Hebrew scriptures, they formed the conclusion of the Old Testament and I think it's fair to say, if, you've been, if you're saying to yourself, I've never actually read uh, any of the minor prophets, you are not in the minority. I, I would say that a lot of us would, would skip it over. It's got a lot of, of dramatic uh, vocabulary, some dramatic imagery. It's got s- confusing rhetoric and strange images. There's a lot that's going on amongst these biblical texts. But here's what I want you to recognize about prophets of the Bible. I think a lot of the time when we use the language of a a prophet, we think of prophets who fully lean into fortune-telling or predicting the future. But within the biblical text, the primary function of a prophet was to call to account power. To speak truth to power. Uh, there were messianic and historical prophecies that took place, but in these little books uh, we have to re- recognize that they weren't all in one sermon put together and there it is. This is for the individual we be talking about today is Micah. There's decades of ministry and it's compiled into seven chapters that are presented to us. So When you're thinking about prophets, I don't want to get caught up in the idea of what's to come. There is most definitely within the narrative of Micah a messianic tone to it, talking about the arrival of Jesus. But more than anything, his ministry was focused about speaking truth to power of the day. And I think in a lot of ways, even in our modern society, we can resonate with that. That we see how power is abused how power is used not for good but for evil. And often, those who are most impacted by the abuse of power are those who have less. Less authority, less in terms of their resources, are even less seen. And so, even from that baseline foundation, I think that the stories of the minor prophets have a lot to say to us. Because the prophets, they had the courage to take a moral stand against the corrupt powers of their day, both foreign and domestic. And in the historical context that they were in, things like oppression and inequality and injustice, they ran rampant towards the most vulnerable in their society. And the timelessness of their voices, I think, are quickly apparent. And what these prophets, they they wanted to do, is they wanted to challenge nations to repent. And I think that whenever you are challenging people to repent, the expectation can rightfully be uh, you're not going to be the most popular person in the room. People aren't really going to love the message that you're communicating. But as we jump in, I want you to keep this at the forefront of your minds. God is not like we are. In the sense that God is not swayed by the persuasions of the powerful, but in fact, he's more moved by the concerns of the powerless. And the real-life dynamics that are confronted by these prophets are real challenges for us today. Diane Langberg, she says that power is inherent in being human. Even the most vulnerable among us have power. How we use it or withhold it determines our impact on others. So there's lots to dive in this morning. Now, uh, it's great to have a baby dedication, and, and obviously, um, my wife is pregnant. Uh, pregnancy is a joy, and I think that whenever I talk about pregnancy, my wife looks at me and says, like, what do you really know? <laughs> this, is, this is obviously a far more acute and real thing for her <laughs> than it is for me. Uh, I, I get to partake into some of the experience, but not to the same degree. But parts that we do share together are often conversations about the, the time to come while reflecting on the present that we're in and, and the past. That's something that we get to share as a couple. And, and I think even recently, we've had some really profound and challenging conversations about where we are as a couple, and and who we want to be, even as parents. What what our family might look like. Uh, Traditions we might want to uphold. Uh, Focuses that we want to have. Maybe differing ways of of discipline, and and how we're going to approach that conversation. All these things, they come to the forefront in these really profound conversations. But consistently, what was clear to both of us, Is that though some of the details may end up differing. We we needed to share a foundation of what matters most. Because I think when we consider the idea of what matters most, that really does inform our our decision making. It it informs our response to injustice. It informs how we build relationships and, and what are going to be the things that we actually hold people accountable to because we feel convicted that this truly does matter. I'm, I'm reminded of the things that we often think matter the most, and they're good things. Family, friends, reputation, and relationship. I think of things like security and, and impact and, and our finances and, and legacy and Social justice, all these things matter, and all these things are great. But what I find, even for myself, is that priorities can shift in season. From one season to the next, the priority might shift. So how would that change our response? So So I wonder, for the people of Israel who we're going to be looking at through the lens of Micah, How their priorities had shifted over time and had become misaligned with what God desired for them. Because the misalignments of our priorities is often indicated in the fruit of our lives. I think sometimes when we consider what God invites us into, we think about God being a stickler for the rules. He doesn't want us to enjoy this. He's he's trying to keep us from this. Because we desire something, the idea of God putting a boundary against it immediately feels like God is trying to prevent me from experiencing what I want. But even through what we're going to see through the people of Israel, the the boundaries and the ideas that God presented to them were not meant for their detriment, but was meant for their flourishing. And when they began to walk out of alignment with what God desired for them, the fruit of who they were as a people no longer looked like the fruit of the people of God. So, I think this is the case in the book of Micah, which is where we're going to start our series. I'm going to provide some background on the book uh, and dive into it. But first, I want to read one of the most well-known verses from the book, found in Micah 6, verse 8. Uh, Micah, between the book of Jonah and Nahum, it says this. It says, He has shown you, O mortal, uh, some translations say, O my people, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now notice he says, God has shown you what is good. So this is the difference between good and evil and what the Lord requires of you and what, what God requires as opposed to what God rejects. This is an invitation. Not simply an admonishment of like, you got to be better. This is an invitation of what can I actually
0: be with you in. So with that scripture in mind, let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, we just give
1: you thanks for the gift of your word, for how you lead us and you shape us and you guide us through it. I just pray that our hearts and our mind are open this morning. Spirit of God, rest upon us in every moment that we
0: share. Enlighten and help us to see the invitation that you're going to be giving us this morning.
1: In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.
0: Now, uh,
1: when approaching the Bible, and especially some of the lesser-known texts, I think we need some perspective of what is going on uh, for the individual that we are talking about. So, Micah, Micah was from a fertile hill town of. I always say it, Morasheth, and it's southwest of Jerusalem. Uh, and he was, very interestingly, a, a contemporary, if you spent any time reading the Old Testament, he was a contemporary of the prophet Isaiah. I think sometimes when we think of these minor prophets, we think of them in a sequential order. That one came, one died, next one came, next one died, next one came. No, a lot of them actually were communicating to the powers at, t- at the time alongside one another. Uh, And to even differentiate between a major and minor prophet, a lot of the time it was very simply the amount of content that was present. It wasn't to say that Micah was a lesser prophet than Isaiah. They were both serving simultaneously in that time period. And they were speaking to the same powers at hand. Uh, Another Old Testament prophet in Jeremiah even quotes Micah as as like a hero. And then the subject that Micah deals with is similar to the of Amos, who we might talk about later on in this series. And the the subject that he's talking about is the injustice of the covenant-breaking Israelite people. And they differ in how they go about it because Amos, he has these, these remarkable visions about how God is going to respond to this injustice. While uh, Micah, he had poetry be the language in which he communicated. And he communicates about what's taking place. He communicates about the Messiah. And some of you this morning are really going to like Micah. Because Micah picks a fight with Israel's leaders. He He doesn't, he doesn't back down. He feels very acutely that something is wrong that needs to be made right. And not just out of his own conviction, but out of the conviction that God had placed within him. He says this. He says that they have become wealthy through theft and with greed. He alludes to a story out of 1 Kings 21 of of King Ahab stealing a family vineyard from an unsuspecting individual called Naboth. And he says that Israel's prophets have become corrupt. One of the challenges that we face today that was seen in that time period as well is that there are perhaps many people in position to hold power to account. But very few that will actually speak as such. Micah was one prophet, but there were other prophets at the time And part of the frustration that Micah communicates in his story is that the prophets of Israel had become corrupt. That they had gotten to the point that they were happy to offer promises of God's protection to anyone that could afford it. And they had sold their authority and responsibility from God for for creature comforts and greed. And this might seem like a dramatic idea that they had so brazenly discarded the responsibility that was given to them as as prophets of, of the living God. But how much more do we do so every single day in all that we do, how quickly we are to sell the responsibility we have for our creature comforts and our greed. And we have to think about the question that we've talked about at the very beginning, what matters most? I think for Micah, he said something matters the most for him, it was, it was to be obedient to God. It was to pursue the purpose of God that was given to him. While the prophets may have pursued at one point, they had lost sight of what mattered most. And they began to do these things like they bent justice to favor the wealthy. I think we see that every day. The poor were deprived of their land, their security, and their hope. And all of this was actually against what the Torah communicated in particular. This wasn't just trying to bend the laws. This was the breaking of the law. Because here's the thing. Like we talked about, God puts these laws in place for the betterment of his people. And at a baseline, sometimes in our ability to be obedient and to pursue what God has for us, we have to believe that what God has for us and what God wants for us is actually good. It's hard to be obedient if you feel like the thing that you're trying to be obedient to is not the best for you. If if as, as a little one... Your your mom or your dad, they tell you not to put your hand on the stove because it's going to be hot, but you put your hand on that stove and you discover it gives you magical powers. I think you'd have a hard time believing them in the future and carrying out obedience. You need to believe that what God has for you, what God wants for you, is good. And not just good for you, but for the flourishing of his people. Sometimes we are so quick. To jump to the action that we are confused at the way that it makes us feel.
0: God does not simply want good action. And what we're going to
1: see consistently in the minor prophets is that God is calling his people back to him. And he's making it very, very clear that his grace and his mercy will never fail. But his justice will not support disobedience that is clearly against his highest priorities. Because God cannot provide his presence to that which is not reflective of his priorities. And often when the judgment is talked about by these prophets in in that time, what is being communicated is that God's presence is not there with them. And what takes place in the book of Micah is that the absence of the presence of God is the introduction of an oppressive nation that comes and destroys the northern kingdom and Jerusalem. And now all these warnings And all of these things are so difficult sometimes to comprehend and understand. And each of these warning sections in the book of Micah, they come with full force. And this is kind of why we skip over them in some ways. But we need to have some hope because on the back end of this, there is a story that brings a promise of hope. Micah writes of a a shepherd king to come. He writes of the the temple destroyed but made new. And he writes of, of these economic atrocities restored. And then it brings us all to Micah 6 verse 8. And it's just as much a call to action as well as an overview of what is not taking place within the people of Israel. This isn't God just saying, Try this. He's saying, we have always advocated for this. To do, to do, act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. This has always been his invitation.
0: This has always been his call, and we have lost our way. I think sometimes
1: even within our, our journey of discipleship, it, it can be exhausting to feel like we are doing it under our own strength. Uh, I've only been rock climbing twice in my life. The second time was a lot of watching because the first time didn't go so well, but I wanted to be, have some friends. So you, you go, you hang out, you're with people, and it was at a boulder uh, climbing space. And I remember I showed up and there's, like a, there's a sense of arrogance sometimes when I'm like trying to do things athletically. And I show up, and I'm like, that, that looks so doable. Uh, my, my well-versed friend in, in bouldering climbs, and they're very particular. They know where they're going, and they, they go up very like, casually but carefully up the rock face, and they do it so well. Uh, me being the not-so-smart guy I was at, the, at that moment, uh, I, I saw the path that he took, and I'm like, I'm going to go quicker than him. And so I raced myself up this thing and got to the top and felt great. And I got to the bottom and I was like, I don't feel great. And I tried again and I I was like, I'm going to take it one step farther. And I barely got up to that second run. I I had put all of my strength and effort into that first run and I had not done it in a manner that was actually going to sustain me past one run up that boulder. Needless to say, that was the one run that I did the entire night that I was there. It was lots of me grabbing one and realizing that's all the strength I had left. It was a humbling experience that, like many things in my life, was going to make its way into a sermon. Um, And I think sometimes this is part of our discipleship and our pursuit of Christ, that there's so much of what we do on a daily basis. When we read a scripture like, Justice and mercy and and to walk humbly. I think we feel like, we feel this to ourselves. I can get behind that. That sounds like something that I want to do and I should do. And we we pursue that with all that we have, but then exhaustion quickly sets in. Have Have you ever had a moment in your life where you felt like you had to advocate for justice for an individual? And the exhaustion that actually comes within it. The the physical, the mental, and the emotional exhaustion that comes in the pursuit of justice. And how it can often get to the point where that same scenario might play out again, and we won't be able to engage with it in the same way. So God knows this. (laughs) He knows that we are going to find ourselves lacking in the things that God requires of us, and he desires for it to not simply be this point that we reach and then fall short and give up and never try again. No, in everything that the prophet Micah is communicating, it's not simply trying to call them to, to account, it's not simply trying to make them do better things, it is always about drawing the people of God back to the heart of God. Because the sustenance and the strength and the stability that they need to pursue the things that God requires is only going to be found in the spaces that they spend with him. And what had taken place for the people of Israel was not simply that they were doing unjust things, it's because, but it was because they had fallen away from being in relationship with a good God that had led them away from those unjust things previously. Micah was committed to calling out injustice in the nation and reminding the people who they had rejected. This is a fun little fact. Um, Both Isaiah and Micah, they both note within their prophetic narrative uh, that they were going to actually communicate all this naked. Uh, this is a funny little piece to pay attention to. We think about protests against what's wrong nowadays. They have nothing compared to what Micah and Isaiah were doing at the time, because this wasn't even for a solitary moment. Uh, this is this is years on end that they're trying to communicate this, and this is a funny thing for us to think about. Culturally, it's a little bit different back in, in that time and space. It was a manner of what they were communicating, the urgency that they're trying to communicate with. But this was was a deeply ongoing, committed process that they were in. Because what what is justice? It is to make that which is wrong right.
0: Very simply. And Micah, in his call to change, he spends
1: time doing this. He, he outlines all that we have fallen, the people of Israel had fallen short in. The, the judgment that was to come from the oppressive nation. And then he outlines for them, to all who would listen, a list of God's faithfulness, of God's righteous acts. He outlines the delivery of the people of Israel from Egypt. Though the placing of good leaders in, in Moses and in Aaron and Miriam. And he talks about crossing the River Jordan when it seemed impossible. This, this is the reminder that he's trying to outline. Because here's the thing. When we grow tired of pursuing what God wants us to be, we need to remember who, what God has already done. And all these, the outlining of all these different tasks, uh, these reminders that Micah gives, God was here for you in this moment, and God was here for you in this moment, and God was in this moment. This isn't like uh, a narrative that was just meant to be memorized and regurgitated. There's like different classes that you take in university. I I took like a Greek and Roman mythology class. That was straight memorization. I memorized everything right before the final, wrote it down on the final, and I could not tell you a single thing about it now. It was regurgitated and put back onto the piece of paper. But I I took a fluid mechanics class in in university, and and I had to actually understand a concept. It wasn't just pure regurgitation of, of a specific word or thought. This was an idea a concept that was introduced to me that it was then meant to have an application to it And so this is the the difference that's even being presented as is not trying to have the people of israel Have the next best answer in their latest and greatest sword drill He wants them to have a revelation of do you know actually who god is? That i'm going to make this invitation that this is what god requires justice and mercy and humility but above all those things, you first need to know who God is. And he is a God who is faithful. He is faithful when the season seems overwhelming. He is faithful when you seem past the point of any return. He is faithful when you cannot see how you're going to pursue any single moment or step moving forward. He is faithful. And that is who Micah wanted them to know before they started to do what God requires of them. There's, there's this great hymn, and many of you will know it, and it's it is well with my soul. And one of the opening lines in the first verse is, Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say. And that's the language that we use. Interestingly enough, originally the line said this: It said, Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know. It was actually changed. To actually say, say, the original was communicating, you have taught me to know. Because if you think about it, you can say a lot of things without knowing it. You can, you can say a lot of things without actually meaning it. That this isn't just about doing righteous acts or, or doing the right thing. This is, I want you to, to, to know who I am. I want you to trust who I am. I want you to believe in all that I have for you. And
0: Mike is asking that question, do you know God? And one of the parallels I think that we've run into
1: in our, in our modern church and in our, in our culture here today is that in our pursuit of doing the right thing, even within church circles, there's a glorification of productivity. And Ralph Davis, he says, but why do we think we have to be so frantic? Why do we have this hypertensive view of the Christian life? Why do we think God wants us to organize more Christian things to do? Because God says through his prophet, what are you up to? Because it sure seems like you have lost sight of what matters most. And all of this culminates in Micah 6, verse 8. Uh, John Newton, hymn writer of Amazing Grace, was also a pastor, and he commented on this verse. And he actually says this about it. He says that there is hardly any one passage in Scripture more generally misunderstood. And I find that incredibly interesting, because when I think we read this verse... Like I mentioned, we we feel like an affinity to it. To do justly. That is to act in a way that is the reversal of all that's taking place. To do justly in accord with the heart of God. Creating a situation and a society where everything is right. We want to do justly. And then if we're doing justly, if this is our action, then our heart condition is to, to love mercy or to love kindness to have warm-hearted compassion, and these actions then take place out of that core. And then the third phrase, to walk humbly, is to walk with a conviction of what matters most. Humility means I don't cherish exaggerations of my own importance. I think we can all have an agreement on this. So, So why would Newton say that it was often misunderstood? Well, I think Newton, he saw this verse as a rally cry to action, lacking often that gospel foundation. That he was seeing that it would become a display of personal virtue and religiosity, absent of the presence of God. And it becomes this kind of nice, normal religion of a
0: virtuous life. This is why all that preamble matters, This is why the outlining of
1: how they had not seen or known who God is matters. When we truly know God, I believe, and I believe that Micah is communicating to the people of Israel, when you truly know God, then our hearts are transformed and we will do justice. We will love mercy and we will walk humbly. And when our lives stop reflecting that and looking like that, the question is not, how can I try harder? The question is, is how can
0: I draw nearer to God? Newton was an incredibly interesting individual.
1: He was once an English slave trader who became an Anglican minister and a hymn writer writer For one of the most famous hymns around the world, Amazing Grace. But perhaps his greatest contribution is he actually became a noted abolitionist. He moved from being a slave trader to someone vehemently against the slave trade. And he comments that it was not simply doing the right thing that matters, but it was that he came to know God. And when he came to know God, justice poured out
0: of him. Mercy was birthed within him. And humility completely covered him. What would happen to the actions of our life if we were to really know God?
1: What would happen if we were to actually invite God into the every space of our life? To not isolate to a Sunday morning or to a, or to a morning prayer or to, a, to an evening reading. But to invite the presence of God to be part of all that we do, not simply for our own benefit, but out of a place of desiring relationship, because I wholeheartedly believe this that the people of Israel had fallen away from the things of God because they had lost sight of the heart of God. And what God requires them to do is justice and mercy and humility, but most importantly, those things are not possible. They are exhausting, in fact, unless they are birthed from a place that has a relationship with God. So what would our lives look like if we were actually living from that source of nourishment and sustenance? How, how would it look like if every time where you felt exhaustion from doing the right thing, instead of just making the decision, I'm not going to do it that well next time, or I might ignore it the next time, or I might give it up the next time, that you just came before God again and you said, would you fill me with the strength that I need so that I can continue to do what is right and reflective of you? So much of the story of our life is that we want to do the right thing, but we just don't have the strength or the patience or the the perseverance to do it. And God is not trying to put you and I in an impossible situation. In fact, he gives us the greatest gift. He gives us the spirit of God that empowers us to live the life that we are called to live as followers of Jesus so that we can be the change in the world of justice, of mercy, and of humility in a way that transforms our society from the inside out.
0: If you are saying to yourself, it is hard, it is true. just hear me this morning. It is hard, and God wants to be with you in the midst of that difficulty. He wants to give you the
1: strength you need to, to do all that your heart desires to do. I believe there are good desires in the room. So even here today, would you invite
0: God to come near to you in your place of frustration. You see injustice all around you, and it just brings you to a point of anger and frustration.
1: God, would you place your strength upon that individual? Would you fill them with your presence? Would you empower them
0: with your peace, with your strategy, with your strength, and with your opportunity? I'm going to pray for us this morning and we're going to close
1: uh, our time in in a song together. And my invitation would be to you: this. Find your
0: place of exhaustion. Find your place of frustration. Find the place that you you want
1: to do the right thing and you feel like it is almost past the point of your
0: strength. And we will pray a simple prayer this morning. Come Holy Spirit. Empower us with all that we need. We place our trust in you. So, Heavenly Father, for each prayer that is prayed in our hearts, may we sense your nearness. For every frustration that is felt, I just pray that you bring clarity or confusion with desire to reign. For every desire that is of you that feels up to the point of exhaustion,
1: that we want to do the right thing, we want to speak rightly of others, we want to pursue justice in this world we want to operate out of a place of humility in every situation we want these things oh god thank you for the desires that you place in our hearts i pray that those desires are not fulfilled by our hands and our strength but by your spirit so spirit of god empower each individual desire that's in this place and i just pray that you would then give us eyes to see this week As we go into the spaces that we occupy on a consistent basis, give us fresh eyes to see how we might do what you require of us. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Not by our
0: will, not by our strength, but by you alone. Spirit of God, do what we cannot and remind us of every moment that you're with us. To you be the glory, Jesus. And We all say amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.